Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. One of my favorite spots of the week, National College Football Insider Michael Felder is with us from Learfield, from Stadium, and as he uh, slugs himself, college football, cooking, and complaining. And we'll have plenty of that uh, during the spot. All right, I know you pointed out in your uh, newsletter, uh, it's Felder up on Substack. It was a uh, week of first in many places around the country. And I think where we start is where we've been starting a lot. Colorado first loss, but maybe it's the first indication with Oregon that they're going to go next level on defense. Yeah, that's the thing that really stood out to me. Um, We knew Colorado was going to be small up front. We knew Colorado was going to struggle. We knew Colorado was going to have some issues. Uh, we did. I didn't know how good Oregon could be on defense. I really had like genuine questions about it, and it's been really that was a really eye-opening experience to see this team come out there, take care of business on defense. Like you could t- talk about the, the 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 pre and post game, the the arguing between the coaches and the you know one guy this, one guy that. But the reality for me is that was a group of young men that played really hard football on the defensive side of the ball. They're going to be a tough out, and I think that's a really good thing for the Pac-12 because for so long people keep saying. They don't play defense. They don't play defense. But realistically, right now, we're looking at the league that has the best quarterbacks, the league that all of a sudden we are starting to see some defense out of Oregon. We already know Utah is going to bring the defense with them. So I think it's going to continue to be a big push for what this league looks like down the line. You have Oregon and Washington as the best two teams? Yeah, I think so. I think Washington – here's the thing. Washington – I think Washington is the best offense in the country, period. Like, no no caveat. Not just the Pac-12, but in the country. So – we got to see them bring it a little bit more defensively. But, yeah, I think those are our two best teams. Obviously, USC has to get thrown in there somewhere. you got to show some respect to the champions, uh, Utah. But certainly, they've got a solid top – they've got a solid top, what, four? And then you can also throw – I know they just lost, but you can throw Oregon State, Washington State in there as well, which is another intriguing thing. And, by the way, we still haven't mentioned Colorado, who – Listen, unless you play defense like Oregon, you're not going to stop them. This weekend, they play USC. What is this game going to look like? You tell me. What do you think? I think Colorado can win this football game. Really? Yeah. Like, I don't, like why can't they win this game? Like, that's, that's the question. Why can't they win this game? Tell me why you think they can't win this game. I don't think they play enough defense, and I don't think they have the big fatties up front in a rotation to hold USC under 50. Now, can they score 50-plus? On USC, I mean, if they can, that's pretty damning on the defense that they've tried to build at USC over the last two years. Yeah, and I think that defense is really bad. This is not me propping up Colorado. This is me saying USC's defense is very, very bad. They are very bad, and I don't think you – you. this is a game that why, – why can't Colorado win? This is a game where they're going to have to play – like, USC's going to have to stop somebody because – Colorado's not going to stop themselves. They do. As we as we watch them play over the course of this season, whether it was TC or it was Nebraska, uh, you know, you somebody's going to have to stop them. And that's the part that I don't know if USC can, which is why I think it's a winnable game for Colorado. Michael Felder on Cofield and Company, ESPN Las Vegas. You go sign up for his Substack at it's Felder at Substack.com. Let's stick with the uh, Pac-12 for a Friday tilt. Yep. I do wonder how Oregon State bounces back. Uh, you know, it's not a devastating loss. We joked about it last week, the Pac-2 title game. They lose to Wazoo. Uh, Utah is absolutely going. If they are not, if they don't you know, win uh, the Pac-12 or finish with, like, two losses in conference, they're going to be a tough out every freaking game. Yeah, every game. And this is going to be hard. Like, it's, it's really hard. Once you get into the meat of this league, there's not a lot of separation, right? Like, 
obviously USC has Caleb Williams, and then we still haven't we still haven't seen Cam Rising. So what does that even look like? And Washington State goes out and they beat Oregon State. Uh, by the way, we didn't we didn't even mention them at the top when we were talking about um, uh, Cam Ward, the kid from Incarnate Word. Like he's an absolute beast as well. They've got a lot of really good quarterbacks. DJ is no slouch either. So they're playing Utah. It's a Friday night game. It starts at nine, which for what is it? Is Utah in the mountain time zone? I, I have no a couple. I have no clue <laughs> because Vegas is in the Pacific time zone. Correct. But Utah is like right there. Yeah. They're in the mountain time zone or they're in the, they're in the mountain time zone. Yeah. They're a little bit to the east. And and last week, strangely <laughs> enough, I was in, in El Paso and they're like the other edge of the mountain time zone. That was screwing me up because I figured they were central. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I'm terrible at this. It's, <laughs> it's one of those things that just happens. But yeah, Utah, maybe we, maybe we see some Cam Rising this week. Uh, but this is going to be – it's going to be – these games are all going to be really good. And obviously it starts on Friday night with this one. Let's go to the Big Ten with Michael yeah. Felder. What do we know about Michigan and Nebraska? Michigan, again, laying a healthy number. It's the smallest number they've laid all year at minus 17. Maybe this is more in line with who they are. I have a feeling they can go in and smash Nebraska. What do you think? They're a better football team than Nebraska. Absolutely. They have a stronger line line play. They have, they have stronger line play than Nebraska. Absolutely. I'm so tired of this Michigan football team. Um, <laughs> truly. Like, the thing that I – when I'm watching football, I want teams to be as good as they can be, as good as they possibly can be. And if this is as good as Michigan can possibly be, they're not that good. And we saw it, and I, I said it when doing the show for Liverpool College Sports Now last week. Fr- check it out last Friday before the game. Myself, Alex Kirshner, and Stephen Hartzell. We, I, we said, I said, hey, man, I think this is a 30, 35, maybe even a 40-minute football game where Rutgers is going to be within a score. And what happened? That's exactly what happened. They were within a score the entire for, – for three quarters, basically. They were, in a, they were in a football game. And Michigan did not push the ball down the field. Michigan didn't seem to try to push the ball down the field. Michigan didn't want to try. Everything with Michigan, they do everything the hard way. And if you do everything the hard way, that's fine. But at the end of the day, your wide receivers, when you need them, will not be able to step up. Your quarterback, when you need him, will not be able to push the ball down the field. We saw it happen last year, right, against TCU in the in the, in the the semifinal. Oh, no, we, 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 we're going to have to score 40 points. Oh, no, how, um, what, we, this isn't, this isn't how we play. And if you don't practice it, and I'm a big believer in this. This is why I like Lane Kiffin so much. And I know they got smashed this past weekend by Alabama, but Lane Kiffin, he practices what he's going to need in big games. And Michigan's not practicing what they're going to need in a big game. And by practicing, I don't mean practicing in practice. I mean doing it in games that you're supposed to win anyways. Yep. Like they're not doing it. They're they're literally just sitting on their hands for an entire football game, knowing that their sides can win out. Yeah, I think they made a mistake in the first four games, including this uh, Rutgers game, by not throwing it around the yard mm-hmm. more. Uh, they have an identity. They want to run the ball, but you know you can win either way. And I really think they yeah. should have gotten up to speed with uh, you know 35 passes a game and. Trying yeah. to destroy people, so I think that Bingo. may be a mistake. Um, I have to get an update from you on uh, what is very intriguing. You're a, a renaissance man, as we mentioned many times. Michael Felder's <laughs> up on Cofield and Company. You had a movie night, and it, it looks like you're developing something pretty special here with Felder's Snack Shack. Yes, we so Snack Shack started um, in the summertime when my my uh, my little kids' friends were coming over. We had a shelf in the in the downstairs storage area where it just has snacks. And we were using pails instead of bags. We got pay- I got a bunch of little pails that were like party favors or something. And it's easy because I can put those in the dishwasher instead of just throwing stuff away. So, you know, quite, shout out, quote, 
reduce my carbon footprint. Um, but at the end of the day, we moved Snack Shack into the like the bar area where the we have a, I have a popcorn machine. Yes, it was one of the stipulations that when I, my wife wouldn't let me get a popcorn machine in Chicago, she said if we move back to Charlotte, you can get a popcorn machine. So I have a popcorn machine. <laughs> I have a blended. I have my own personal popcorn blend, which is the big yellow kernels in these small Amish white tender kernels. I've got a, those. It's like a two to one yellow to white, but those are all in there. Get that in the popcorn machine. I use um. Listen, the classic movie theater butter flavoring. And then I also use the Flavacol. Flavacol is what they use at the movie theater. That's what makes it taste so good. I knock that out. I've got a projector. I got a screen. Uh, we throw that up. We put blankets down on the ground. The kids hang out and have blankets. The parents can hang back and have some drinks. But it's really cool. So we're going to probably do another one in the next few weeks. And yeah, movie night. It's like it's 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 super fun. You throw on. Um, we watch Madagascar. We might just do the whole run the whole Madagascar series, right, for the kids. So it's been very cool. It's impressive. It's impressive. And there's a lot to live up to uh, in the Felder existence. And you don't want to embarrass yourself. Now, speaking of embarrassing themselves, I want you to tell me if, if either one of these guys did this. Because in the end, they kind of got really mad at old guys. Did you sure. think that Ryan Day was out of line? Did you think that Jake Dickert, the Washington State coach, was out of line? Dickert went after Corso. And obviously, Dr. Lou got Ryan Day all worked up. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't get it, man. I just. You're the head coach of a major program. Like, who cares? And both of you guys just won. Like, somebody didn't pick you to win. Somebody didn't believe in you. So what, man? Like, just like believing you. That's one. That's where I. That's where I am with. Like, Dion's like, hey, man, you ain't make me, so you can't break me. Like, these guys are getting broken down by like guys whose job it is to talk about football. Like, this is not a big deal. And one guy's a hundred years old. Like, what are we doing? Like, they're both. Both guys. Yes. Both guys are like a hundred hundred years old. Like, who cares? Like, did they even I I've no did they watch the whole games? Did they did they? I have no clue. So it's one of those things that just for me is just who like man, come on. Come on, come, dude. Just just you you they both won. You won. And this is the thing you want to talk about? Come on. I I really believe in something called the dream killer. Teams that uh, believe they have a chance to make the final four, win a national mm -hmm. title, an outside chance. When they lose, there's an emotional adrenaline dump. Mm -hmm. And Notre mm. Dame, Notre Dame does not have any time for a dump. They can't have a letdown here. Duke is dangerous. This is this is a dangerous yeah. spot on the road. I'm so glad you brought that game up because Duke is very good. Riley Leonard, uh, we talked about the Pac-12 and their quarterbacks in the ACC. I mean, you have Drake May, obviously, you have Jordan Travis as well. And I think Riley Leonard is probably up there as the number two, number three quarterback in the league. He is super talented. This guy can move. I mean, the thing we don't think about, things people don't think about, I know folks don't watch a lot of Duke football. What they don't realize is this man can run. Like, Riley Leonard has got wheels. He can run. He is not afraid to, to put his foot in the ground and go get it. So, I mean, you look at him. He's their second leading rusher. Guy's already ran for 238 yards. Uh, he's gonna. He should top 1,000 yards passing this in this in this football game if he has a good game. So, that he can get the job done. And he when he when Riley Leonard runs, and I think it's listen, people underestimate him. They don't think he can do it. But when he decides to run, there's a lot of grass out there, and he goes and takes advantage of it. The dream is not completely dead for Clemson, but you know, disappointing times right now. And they actually have a tricky spot. They're about a touchdown favorite, but they're on the road. Uh, they're playing Syracuse, and now you've got people coming out of the woodwork to say, not only does Clemson appear to be a little undermanned because of Dabo, but some of his coaching moves, not so hot. Dabo's never been – he's never been purported to be a great coach. 
Nobody's ever thought he was a great coach. He's a great motivator. He's a great uh, program. Uh, kind of, he built that program from the Tommy Bowden era to what it is now. Yeah, he did that. Nobody's ever thought, man, this guy's super smart and a really good coach. No one's ever thought that about him. We we thought he's a very good recruiter. He can sell your mom. He can sell your mom all day because he's going to make you go to church on Sundays. And like moms love that stuff. But at the end of the day, he's not a great coach. So him making mistakes, it was always, it was covered up in the last, what are we going to call it? The last eight, nine, nine, ten, last decade, basically. It was covered up because he had really good players. There's not a person on that Clemson roster right now with the, they have, nah, that's a lie. That's not true. There are two people on that roster right now that are going to be first round draft picks. They're both linebackers. There is not a person on that offensive side of the football that I expect to be a first round pick right now. And that's just a fact. They got two linebackers in, in, in uh, was it Barrett Carter and, and Jeremiah Trotter. Both of those guys are really good. But Carter Barrett, I, these kids' names are just killing me because of the portal. But no, they've got two linebackers that are probably going to that are probably going to be first first round picks. That's it. That's what they have. Like they don't have, remember what these defensive lines used to look like. Grady Jarrett, Christian Wilkins, like these dudes were monsters. Cleveland Cleveland Farrell was a monster in college. He's had a rough time in the NFL, but certainly was a monster in college. And they don't have that right now. They don't have um, Sammy Watkins or 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 Nuke Hopkins or um, Mike Williams. <laughs> like they don't have those guys. They don't have CJ Spiller. They don't have. They don't have um, Wayne Gallman and Andre Ellington, and, and they don't have those guys. Will Shipley is a good football player. Will Shipley is not like he's no, he's not going to be a first round draft pick. I don't think he's going to be someone that we see go on day two, sure. But Will Shipley, and he's doing all the work for them, everything. Watching him when he puts that one finger up in the air, it's because he's tired. He is exhausted. This guy returns kicks. He does some punt work. He um. Runs the ball for them. He does pat. I watched this man, Will Shipley. I watched this man walk up to the line of scrimmage, tap the center, call the protection for the team, while the quarterback just kind of stood next to him. He called the protection for the team and then dropped back to make sure he got his block. Like this guy's doing everything for them. Michael Felder's with us. Sign up for his newsletter. It's Felder at Substack.com. Real quickly on the last two points here. Yeah. Uh, one, Auburn uh, had it handed to him against Texas A&M, and now they got to bounce right back at home against Georgia coming into town. Yeah, this is going to be a rough one for Auburn. Um, not going the way that folks thought when they decided to compromise the Auburn quote-unquote values and hire Hugh Freeze. Uh, so this is going to be really interesting to see how this shakes itself out. Georgia, I do want to see Georgia, just like I talked about with Michigan. Listen, I'm an equal opportunity uh, offender here. I want to see Georgia stretch it out too. Um, I want to see them push the ball. I know Carson Beck feels like a safe choice, but I want to see them push the ball down the field. Make sure, show me what, show me the weapons, what they look like. Last one, give you a little uh, West Coast feel and, and Mountain West feel. Um, it's starting to look like a two-team race in the Mountain West with Air Force, yes. very efficient, and then yeah. Fresno is really, really good. Uh, Air Force is hosting San Diego State, and I watched a lot of San Diego State in Boise yep. last week. And boy, Brady Hoke has had some, you know, good years. He went twelve and two in a year, but beyond that. He's four and four, seven and six, two and three. Yep. They just don't have a lot of offensive talent. And I'll, I'll give you the worst thing. They're a boring football team in a city that you better entertain or people don't show up. And the last couple yeah. of home games, they I mean, they have a, a brand new 35, 40,000 seat stadium. No one goes to the games. That that's going to be his real issue if he has a year where yeah. he goes like three and five or worse in the Mountain West. Well, here's the thing. Let's start out with San Diego State, right? Because this is a team that 
They've lost three in a row. And they beat it. They beat that Ohio team. And they, it's just, they are so, it's so hard for them. Everything is so hard for them. And like, it's 34 uh, 31. The, the, they lost to obviously to Oregon State the week before. They could have, like, if they could have just like got more points. And I know that's like a, a very cliche thing to say. But <laughs> what I'm saying is like, yeah. everything is so hard. And I love, I love Jalen Maiden. I love the Maiden family. Like, I, his brother that went to Alabama, I interviewed him when I was a Bleacher Report. I watched both of these kids kind of grow up. I watched him when he was pu- pushing to get into the Elite 11. And so I like Jalen Maiden. I like him a lot. They've got to find a way to, one, protect him because he is running for his life. <laughs> it is wild to watch this guy. He's just like, I don't, hey, man, please, like, I don't, please keep these guys off of me so I can throw the football to anyone. And they don't have any really, they don't have any wide receivers that make you excited. So that's the other part of it. Um, you mentioned Air Force. Obviously, what, what, there's nothing to be said about them. They're just super good. I will rather spend the last couple little seconds we have on Fresno State. I love them. They are my, one of my favorite teams. I love Jeff Tedford. I'm a Ted head. This guy, I watched him. I was at the Elite 11. I watched Tedford teach quarterbacks about cover two and cover yeah. three. And this man, I'm sitting back there as a defensive guy like, oh, no, they got you if they do this. They got you if they do this. And he's like, you make them wrong even when they're right. And he just goes through all these little coaching points. And his quarterbacks, they absorb it. This guy, is a he's a quarterback whisperer. He's amazing. I, I love what he does. He's doing with Mikey Keene. Like, these guys are like – he did it with Jake Hayner, where these guys are like, okay, I know they're they're plugged in. They don't need a running back to call protections. They're setting their protections. And then they look, they look pre-snap. They have an idea. But they don't make a decision. And that's something that I hate about college football right now. Too many guys make decisions before the play even starts. So if you rock and roll on them as a safety or a safety combo, all of a sudden the picture changes. They've already made their mind up, and now all of a sudden they're throwing interceptions. These guys don't make their mind up till the play starts, and then they're looking and pointing. They're like, okay, so this safety's moving out here. We're, we've got – okay, we've got cover six because this safety's here. This guy's here. Okay, we've got cover two. We've got this. Okay, I know what I'm doing. I know where I have to put the ball. I know when this guy's going to come open. And the, the other part, those wide receivers, the way they run their routes, very beautiful. They're all tempoed. They're not just coming off running full speed. They It's like a, a brisk jog, and then when they're supposed to come open, now we get that sprint, and the DB is kind of all screwed up, and now the guy's open in that space. Bang, let's hit him and keep keep moving the ball down the field. Michael Felder from Stadium in Learfield. I'll mention one last thing, and, and you know, you mentioned uh, – I don't know if you did, but I'll mention it. You know, former defensive backs, you, you really know yeah. defense uh, at North Carolina where you played. I'll mention one thing. I'll correct myself. Uh, Boise State is still very much alive because yes. um, I believe they have a top 10 running back, and I I might go as far as top five. Uh, Ashton Gentry yep. out of North Florida against San Diego State was ridiculous. Uh, I was having thoughts of, like, Ray Rice. You're yeah. kind of that same size, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, real yep. thick. I mean – always bounces off the first tackle attempt, and then he's still got the speed to freaking break yeah. away. So snitch for everyone out there. Watch this kid. He is good. Yeah, Boise State had a really rough go. Here's the thing. Rough go of it, right? Come 0-2 out of the gate. Here's the thing. None of those games matter when it comes to winning, to winning the Mountain West. None of them matter at all. So at the end of the day, they're still, if you look at the standings, they're still right there. They're, they're 1-0. No problem. The Washington game, the UCF game, they don't matter. We have a we have a ten we have a we have a season that is all about winning our league. That's all we have to worry about. And then we can when the dust settles, if we take care of our business, if we go undefeated through this league, guess what? We got an opportunity to go to that that New Year's Six game. Mike, great spot. Have a good weekend and uh, make some more of that popcorn. Oh, we'll do, man. You take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>
While Thursdays and Fridays are 95% reserved for uh, football, college, and the NFL, and some food talk, NBA's got a pretty big story going on here. And I know you love the NBA. For VSIN, your official title, I always forget it. it always, it's always morphing. It really isn't. I just forget what it is. Uh, uh, no, uh, I did kind of unofficial. Risk supervisor. Well, no, that's not. You're not on the other side of the counter. Uh-huh. You changed it? Kind of. Are you allowed to do that? Well, so uh, this this plays into something I've talked about with you many times before. There are a lot of my teammates at VSIN when they would introduce me as they would call me the NBA betting expert. Right. And I don't really like that. I'm not an expert on anything. Um, except for maybe breathing, and even then, sometimes I'm not really great at it. Um, so I like see I like senior NBA betting analyst. That would be my uh, okay my term. You know, right. I, I analyze the market. Uh, I want to bet minus four fifty on the no. The Bucks win the title. Am I crazy? They're now plus three fifty. They went from seven to one to plus three fifty with Dame in this trade. I don't think you're entirely crazy. I think the price is accurate to put them in the range of like three ninety to make them the favorite. Because here's the thing. So that trade, we always think about the trade, right? Team gets player. But the other win there is, is that Miami doesn't. And in an Eastern Conference that I think if you look at all of the teams around them, you know, you look at Boston, for example. Marcus Smart is gone. A good part of their rotation is now a bunch of guys who have some health concerns throughout the entire regular season. They could take a step back. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, we still don't know what's going to happen with James Harden and the 76ers. Um, there's a chance that they are worse than what they were last year. And even then, it's a team that has never really taken a step with Joel Embiid in terms of postseason contention like you have. Miami, obviously, not getting Damian Lillard. And remember, losing Max Struess and Gabe Vincent from that team last year are kind of worse for a team that really just got hot for one series and it carried their way through a postseason. There, there's a real case to be made that, like, in reality, are they, the Milwaukee Bucks, better than, I would say, like three teams in the Western Conference? I think you make the argument they're not. But their path to an NBA Finals at this point – looks nice enough that if you bet that no, you might be sitting there in the NBA Finals being like, oh, boy, I really hope Buck, the Bucks can lose this series. You hear that? That's a betting analyst. He came at us with, like, three side points, alternate points. Uh, can we go back to all the noise around this trade request from the very beginning? Uh, you remember people got really mad. Was it Chris Haynes? Who put it out there, an NBA reporter, that basically, hey, if Portland doesn't do Dame Lillard right, they're going to pay for this down the road because other players are watching, and they better do it. And then we had a little war, and it was kind of a one-sided war. Woj was putting out information that you know seemed like, hey, he's got some you know insiders with the Blazers. And then Lebetard accused Woj of not being objective, but you pointed out at the time, like, bro, look in the mirror. You're very connected to the Miami Heat situation. We had covered that extensively. Well, Ryan Rosillo is a really good guy on the NBA. He used to do one of the really good shows here on ESPN Radio National, and now he's doing podcasts. This was him um, a few hours after the draft, and he went right into one of JVT's favorite stories, Woj against Lebetard. I'm sorry I have to do it because I couldn't believe it when it happened. Woj came on and said, very simply, Portland doesn't like the offers. They're going to see what happens. Dan Levitard said this about Woj. Quote, thank you for bringing up Woj. The Heat know that he's just agenda-based shilling bought and paid for by Portland. It's embarrassing that Woj is telling people it might be weeks or months on Lillard. That was on July 17th. Bought and paid for. I'm like, man, if you're going to pick a fight, pick a fight with somebody who gets wrong, not Woj. And here we are, weeks, months later, and it wasn't Miami. So what's the lesson in all this? I think the lesson is, even though the standard seems to be NBA player says this, NBA player gets exactly what he wants, specific to when this was all going down, 
and the lack of options, there was nothing wrong with a team waiting. Right. And by the way, it's not the first time we've seen it. Did Ben Simmons get traded the next day after it looked like he was done in Philadelphia? No, he sat on the sidelines for a year before he was traded off to the Brooklyn Nets. Like you see this, it, how about Kevin Durant last offseason? Remember asking for a trade? And everybody thought, oh, I remember it was at the Summer League, not this current one, but the one after that. That was a big topic of conversation. Kevin Durant wasn't in Phoenix Sun until the trade deadline. <laughs> so I, I, was, I was amazed that Levitard took that stance for multiple reasons, the first and foremost of which is, bro, Pat Riley was at your wedding. Like You cannot sit here and say that Woj is bought and paid for while at least ignoring what your connection to Miami is. And going further along when he talked about it, he said, this is the truth. No, that's the Miami Heat's version of the truth. And what's even more disappointing is today when it happens and they go back on their show, he then spins it and says, well, this is one side of the truth. That's not how you phrased this conversation at all the first time this was brought up. But it's, it was just incredible to watch this. And I got to tell you, because I'm, not, I'm kind of a hater, I loved that this happened to the Miami Heat. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. So, crazy deal, and, you know, these things happen often. Uh, the timing's interesting on this because it got real quiet around uh, Damian Lillard with uh, his request to get traded. Did not go to Miami. The Raptors, I guess, weren't up to snuff with the deal. They make a three-way deal. They get the Suns involved, so they have wholesale changes. And we'll see what Portland does with some of the players they got because I don't know if they're going to keep all of them. Uh, in Phoenix... Uh, Gambadoro, John Gambadoro over there. Uh, he's on uh, 98.7, and he was kind of hashing out the deal yesterday and wondering, you know, why they moved Aiton and if this is really the right move. Aiton's a better player than Nurkic. He's younger, he's more athletic, he's got more upside and more potential, and I'll never say that he wasn't. I'll never say that he wasn't better. But I think this really comes down to fit. And if Nurkic is willing to do a lot of the things that Aiton wasn't and the fit's right, well, then you could. they could absolutely be better. They could absolutely be better. Good job. Okay, strong take. That started out kind of weak. You kind of flip a little yeah. bit. Um, this is a fit thing, right? Absolutely. So big Joe Nurk is going to do some of the stuff they need and be a true big. How's his defense? So I was just looking that up. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, according to Cleaning the Glass, they have a metric. It's called efficiency differential. So it's essentially how do you affect uh, either the net rating, which is how you are outscored or how you outscore opponents by every 100 possessions, and they do it for offense and defense as well. Every year that Yusuf Nurkic has been with Portland, except for one, and that was the year they got hurt, 2019-2020, he has had a positive effect on their defense statistically. And in fact, right. from 2017 to 2018, Steve, he has ranked in the 88th percentile or higher at his position in efficiency differential on defense. Uh, isn't this as much about just managing the player and – Knowing that he's reliable and that he'll show up every day and there's not going to be pissing and moaning. It just seemed like between the old coaching staff and uh, I, I haven't heard anything from the star players, but I just I wonder if time just wore out with Aiden and a fresh start is needed and they're like, Let, let's move on and let's also get some more depth. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think uh, you and who who is it again that we just played? I mean, I don't think he's wrong in saying yeah, Gamadoro, Gamadoro, one, one of the hosts in in Phoenix. It's a pretty obvious statement, right? De DeAndre Ayton's younger; he's got more upside. Sure, like he can develop and be better as his career goes along. It's you know one of the guys has been in the league since 2014, so you're not really saying anything shocking there. Um, 
But when the franchise has clearly kind of moved on from you and you've had these meetings and these headbutting moments with the old coaching staff, with the ownership, at some point you just kind of go look around and go, all right, look, look, this isn't working out. Yep. You're clearly not happy here. You've coming off of your worst years of pro. Something's happening. Let's just let's just both part ways. You, you could probably – what if he eventually becomes DeAndre Ayton that we all expected? Sure, it could probably happen. But it's just – it's kind of sour. It's like changing radio producers, right? Like sometimes just festers and move – you just got to move on. Milwaukee defensively over the years has been what? Good. Uh, okay. Very good. Yeah. Uh, so one of the first reactions I heard from someone uh, who had just heard about the trade was, man, I Holiday plays really good defense. Yeah. Bring in a Dame? Yeah. That's my question. Okay. That's why going back to what you're talking about – like is if you were to tell me right now, if you were looking in the future, say the Bucks don't win the title, I wouldn't be shocked by that. Because here's the thing, Drew Holiday, and this goes back to the conversation, like bringing back the whole Miami deal, right? Because a lot of people are like, that deal's not better. No, you just don't know how good Drew Holiday is and what he can fetch when Portland eventually now flips him in the coming weeks. What? Wait, what? What was the deal? Hero and what? It was Hero uh, Nikola Jovic, one of their young developmental players. I think did they draft Johnny Juzang, whichever of the you know UCLA guys that they got, um, and then some first round picks and swaps. So instead, yeah, Holiday's get, a more complete player, right? You get a hero, and you can flip him for assets, which they're going to do because he doesn't fit their timeline. Um, theoretically, you could also flip DeAndre Ayton if you wanted to. I haven't heard anything there, so yeah. that's going to be something as well. Um, and pick swaps down into like twenty thirty or something there. But regardless, I think Drew Holiday is very underrated. And now, when you're talking about games basketball wise, who are you putting on the best perimeter scorer of the other team? Because Drew Holiday was shutting those guys down, and Damian Lillard isn't. Remember, on Sundays, the place to watch the NFL is at the Westgate International Theater, 1,500 seats, smoke-free. We started off on ESPN Las Vegas with our Sunday football preview show. Danny Smythe hosts that show from 8 to 9, and then he sticks around for a little bit, has a bunch of prizes and giveaways, but the theater is the star of that whole deal. They've got great food specials, good drink specials at the Westgate International Theater with massive HD screens. These are the highest quality stuff. And then if you want to hang out in the book, you can do that. I mean, that's a legendary spot. They've got the same HD big screen. So mark it down. Start early. Get over there. Watch Danny do the show. Danny Smythe live on ESPN Las Vegas at 8 o'clock inside the Superbook at the Westgate. He's observant. You know, he's watching and he's just going to keep kind of earning trust and, and growing in that leadership role of being a point guard. But, uh, you know, you can see he's got he's got a lot of, uh, of skills and, and instincts that just make playing kind of natural for him. And, uh, and, he, had a, and he had a really good day. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. So you had back-to-back uh, sound bites there, <laughs> football and basketball. Uh, the second sound bite was Kevin Kruger. And the official practices are rolling out where uh, media can be out there. Uh, By the way, yesterday there was a really nice contingent of family members and uh, some other maybe future basketball players. They're basketball players now, but who knows where they land. Uh, So UNLV opened up practice yesterday. Curtis Terry is with us. He played for the Rebels. He's on the call of the games. He's one of the uh, co-hosts of the Kevin Kruger radio show. Curtis, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How's it going, Steve and JBT? It's good, man. There was a there was a good vibe at practice yesterday, and while Kevin there was asked about, uh, Coach Ruger was asked about uh, DJ Thomas. Um, I don't know how much you've seen them, but when you look at the group overall, um, I think he's finally and we said this last year, but I think he's finally got the group, the type of group that he wants to play with because there are so many dudes who go between you know six four. And six nine, 
some good bulk on the team. Like they have a lot of flexibility and they've got a lot more size and depth than I've seen the first two years on these Kruger teams. Oh, no, I totally agree. I think this is the kind of team that Kevin's been trying to sculpt uh, ever since he took the job a few years back. I think this is the kind of team that, that his dad, Lon, used to put together when he was not only here at UNLV, but also his time at Oklahoma. Um, and I think the, the big key here for Kevin, he's got he's got some continuity. Obviously, they lose the majority of the starters. They bring Luis Rodriguez back. But I think the big thing is the fact that they've got they've got DJ Thomas. Kevin has his point guard now, and we've seen not just in college basketball, but, but at UNLV, point guard play is big, especially in the Mountain West. I think Kevin's, Kevin's finally found his lead horse from that standpoint, and I think it's going to be a big, a big year for Kevin. Um, not just what he's doing, but what the guy's going to do on the court. It's going to be led by, by DJ Thomas being the head of the snake in this group. Uh, having a team that's longer and lengthier, how much does it help with – I know that you and John enjoyed my tidbit about the jumping jacks at the beginning of the season. <laughs> but how much does that help, right? Like now your guys doing jumping jacks are exponentially longer, and what he wants to do defensively can be executed a little bit more, right? No, you got a great point. I think they're going to do a lot of jumping jacks. I don't know if they're going to put that into a drill here uh, for the first first part of preseason practice, uh, but they're going to get a lot of deflections. I think Kevin even made a comment about their, their their guys are big, not just the post. They've got some bigs that are big. They've got some some guys on the wings that are actually big guys. They're long and rangy. Um, and I feel like we've said this every year since Kevin's taken over that that this year's team is bigger, stronger, more athletic than the year before. Um, and I think it sounds like a broken record, but I think – it, it rings true again to, to this, the size and talent that he's got with the Boone Twins. Um, obviously, uh, when you bring back Isaiah Cottrell with Ice being able to be that, pick, that big pick-and-pop guy, um, Luis Rodriguez on the wings. Um, and you, you talk about just this change of pace between DJ Thomas as a, as a kind of more a pace guard setting up your teammates, and then you got Jackie Johnson, um, who we saw last year can, can, can come off the bench and just be a, a microwave on offense. So I think they've got a lot of different pieces that are going to work well for this team, not only offensively, but, but like you mentioned, JVT, when they're doing jumping jacks and getting deflections and getting out in transition. Curtis Terry's up on Cofield and company. Explain to the audience who Ice is. Um, Ice, Isaiah Cottrell, uh, the former Bishop Gorman uh, grad, uh, who went on to West Virginia, played for, for Bobby Huggins out there, um, and then transferred back to UNLV last year. He played in one game. Um, he had the foot injury most of the time. The fans of Thomas and Mack saw Isaiah Control rolling around on his scooter, um, looking fresh on the sidelines, um, always looking sharp. Uh, but I think this year they're, they're going to be surprised in terms of what he's going to be able to bring to the table, just like he was able to do when he was at Gorman, kind of be that big you know, on the inside, protect the paint, but then offensively be a pick-and-pop guy, something that UNLV hasn't had in a while from a traditional big, um, what he was able to do when he was at West Virginia, knocking down shots from the perimeter. Uh, but the guys I talked to a couple weeks ago when we were at the football game, um, they had mentioned just the ability of ice to change the, the pace of the game and the flow of the offense in terms of just pick and pop. Even when they were in their small group workouts before they got to official practice starting on Wednesday, um, him being able to pick and pop is going to spread the floor and create more driving lanes for these guys. Um, and so I think ice, Isaiah Cottrell, the local kid from Bishop Gorman, is going to be a nice addition, which they all didn't get last year, but they're going to be pleasantly surprised to be able to add the lineup this year. couple of early impressions for me on DJ Thomas. I'll give you three. Uh, one of them is he's actually a little bigger than I thought. Now, he's not gigantic, but he's legit right around six foot. Um, and we know the rigors of the Mountain West, people may laugh at this, but the Mountain West is an old league. Uh, they get a lot of transfers. Um, you have a couple, of, you know, a couple of situations where they've got guys sometimes who are 23, 24 years old. Most of the point guards are between 6'1 and 6'3", and a lot of them are pushing, you know, 190, 200, 210. Do you think, do you think he's big enough to kind of handle the, the, the rigors of the Mountain West where a lot of times you are playing older guys? Uh, you know what, I think, and I think Kevin made this point as well, some of his teammates before, and I know I spoke with Coach John Cooper um, a couple weeks back, um, sat in the office with him, and, and he was just talking about with DJ. I mean, obviously he's not the guy that's going to come in. You're not going to be blown away by his size and that, his athleticism. Um, obviously he's going to be what he is in terms of, of stature. 
Uh, but I think the people that he's going to have around him are going to make his job easier to be able just to contain the ball. He's not going to have to be able to, to, to hold anybody the full length of the court, um, possession after possession. You've got guys on your team that can do that. Uh, but when you talk about having Jalen Hill on one wing, Luis Rodriguez on another wing, Shane Noel, Justin Webster, who we know can slide his feet uh, with, with some of the best of them. He's, he's shown improvement not just from being a three-point shooter. But for DJ just to be able to, to be solid on the ball um, defensively, um, and then I think the biggest thing he's going to be able to, to bring is just that, that basketball IQ, the court awareness, to run the show as a point guard. Um, I think that's what I've heard the most and what I've seen is just his maturity yep. um, offensively, running the show, getting his teammates into spots where his teammates know that if he gets the outlet, they're going to run the floor and run their heads off. They know that he's going to pass up and find the best shot for his teammates. And I think that's going to be a change of what we've had in the past with having the guys that are running the show being more ball-dominant, offensively oriented for themselves. It's where you DJ Thomas wants to be the best player he can be and get his teammates involved, but he can knock down shots when need be. Um, he's a true floor general in this case. My other two points on uh, DJ Thomas, of course, the uh, son of uh, D-Dan Thomas, who played at UNLV, gigantic get to keep him in the market. Um, when he practiced, at least the half hour, and they went two and a half hours yesterday. When uh, The half hour I watched, I think he took three shots. So I love that, like kind of setting a tone, like I am here to be the guy who does this, distribute and run the offense. And the other thing is, when he did speak to the media, there are different 18-year-olds. Like when we talked to Keyshawn Hall last year, you're like, he's 18. Uh, right. When you talk to DJ, you're like, okay, this guy's a senior. Um, he doesn't look old, but he speaks with a confidence and he's got a composure where you're like, he's been around the game for a long time and he's not you know, you know, very uh, raw. He, he knows what he's doing. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think that gives credit just to the kind of young man that he is, and obviously to his parents um, in the home life that he's had. But I think you got to give give Dion a lot of credit for that, just in terms of he's been his coach uh, his entire life. Um, and then even when DJ was at Liberty High School here in, in Henderson, Nevada, he led them to, to two state championship games. They won a state championship one year. Um, just his maturity, uh, he understands the game, he understands the business. Um, of what college basketball is now. He's kind of been recruited through that process of, of the NIL and the, and the immediate transfers and being able to play and have that immediate eligibility. Um, and so I think that's going to be another strong suit for this UNLV team is going to be able to have DJ Thomas being able to not just to be your point guard and to facilitate, take ownership on the court, get your guys in the right positions, but then also uh, to be able to handle the media, to be able to handle uh, what the optics look like of certain situations on the court and how they translate off the court. Um, I think that's going to be a big case and, and things that UNLV just hasn't had um, a good grasp on from that point guard position in years past. All right, NBA time. we got a couple of minutes left. Curtis Terry's with us. Been around basketball a long time. Really loves the NBA. Give me your take on the Milwaukee end of this trade, Dame Lillard with Giannis. I mean, I'm a fan of it. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I, I was big on, I've been on, big on the Bucks for a while. Um, when my brother Jason had a chance to play with, with the Bucks and play with Giannis, and he was just raved about him when Jason Kidd was the coach. Um, but I, I think I was probably as shocked as everybody else that he didn't go to Phoenix or didn't go to, to to Miami, and the fact that he didn't go to Miami it makes it, I kind of relish in that, um, and, and not to see them not to see them get him in that situation. Um, but I think it's something that's going to be going to be big for the league, and I think Giannis is now going to probably stay put there. Obviously, he's got a couple more years, but I think that's going to quiet down um, some of that noise that he was kind of making about maybe wanting to be somewhere else and having the best chance to win. Um, I know obviously JVT knows the numbers. He's the analyst. Um, he, he's got all the data in terms of what, what to bet and what not to bet. But I think they're going to be my favorite coming out of this. I think even though you lose Drew Holiday, what he can do offensively, um, Dame Lillard from that point guard position is going to be able to create more opportunities um, for Giannis for the rest of the team. Um, and that's going to be something that they kind of missed at times. As good as Drew Holiday was defensively um, in, this day, in this day and age in the NBA, it's about scoring points, and Dame Lillard just gives them that, that better shot. Curtis, I've got to ask, because JVT's on the same boat as you, happy that Miami didn't get him. 
But I feel like people are missing out on the fact that they were the number one seed last year, and they get a top five offense. Two years ago, they weren't the number one seed last year. Last year, they were, they barely got in the play-in. Play-in. Yeah, they were in the play-in, Demond. What are you, you talking know what, about? Still, it doesn't matter to me. Sorry, I was wrong. <laughs> don't let, I don't, don't fact, let facts get in the way. Yeah, facts don't, facts don't matter on this show, Curtis. But why are people off. acting like, oh, this is such a win for Milwaukee, the underdog? Uh, because nobody wants to go to Milwaukee. I mean, think about it. You, 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 you talk about with the NBA and, and the markets, right? The big media markets and the guys who can get all their deals. Um, let's be real. It's Milwaukee. Nothing new. Knock on Milwaukee. I've never been to Milwaukee. Um, but I hear it's really, really cold. Uh, there's not much going on there. So the fact that they're going to be able to go out and get, uh, everybody's been talking about it, a top 75 player of all time. Um, screw it. Just a current superstar in the NBA right now, an all-star caliber player. Um, and Dame Lillard, to get him to go there, to pair him with Giannis is huge. Um, I, I think with what the Heat already able to do um, down in South Beach with Coach Expulsia, Pat Riley with that Heat culture that they've got going, um, I think clearly they're, they're still going to be a contender. They had some slip-ups last year when they had to be in that playing game. Um, but I think it ultimately came down to, and I don't think a lot of people were talking about this, just I don't think that the Blazers valued what they were going to get in return from the Heat um, without getting a superstar um, or at least some valuable picks that can come out of it and turn into a superstar. So I think I think the Blazers did what you're supposed to do in terms of not just give the, give the superstar player what they want, um, but, but do both in terms of send them to a good place where they got a chance to compete and contend, but then also do right by your fan base and your ownership and, and put yourself in a position to, con- to compete and contend with the assets that you get back in return. The voice of Curtis Terry right here on Kofi and Company, ESPN Las Vegas, the former Rebel. As we mentioned earlier, uh, co-host of the Kevin Kruger radio show, also the analyst on the games on radio, and he does a lot more than that. Um, I want to close and mention uh, good vibes. I like this. Uh, first of all, you like the uh, the senior betting analyst title that uh, John threw out there. <laughs> analyst to analyst. There you go. Analyst to analyst. Um, you've also been very complimentary off the air of the Barry Odom radio show, and right. I wonder – if you've been peeking in on our broadcaster bites, which is back for the second year, and you're feeling like maybe we need to up our game during basketball season, hundred percent for sure. No, I'm I'm obviously a big fan of, of everything that goes on at UNLV, uh, but not, not just UNLV, but, but Las Vegas in general from the from the sports market standpoint. Uh, I think what you and Caleb doing are over there are great with on the broadcast. Um, but in Coach Odom, I mean, obviously, if he if anybody doesn't believe that he's revived the football program, I mean, and gave them some life. I mean, going down to UTEP, getting that win. Uh, the win that they had against Vanderbilt, I was in the building at Allegiant for that one. Um, and now with the Ninth Island Showdown coming up, um, it's an exciting time to be a UNLV student-athlete, uh, to be a UNLV alumni, to be a UNLV supporter in the community in Las Vegas. Um, and I think what Coach Odom is doing is great. Now, when it comes to you guys on the road, I'm a big fan of that, big proponent of, of stepping out in the, in the local markets that we visit. I definitely think we need to take those broadcaster bites and roll that from not just the fall but into the winter um, to basketball season. So I know I've got a couple places that I, I earmark when we're on the road. Right. So I think we're going to have to make a second part of that for sure. Um, but maybe we, maybe we even do a segment when you guys go somewhere locally in town and check out some of the local eats to, to share with the, with the people of Vegas as well. We do that a little bit. Actually, on the, the weeks where UNLV isn't traveling, I, will, I, I usually come up with something uh, where I've had a meal and there's some criticism and whatever. The, the goal is let's just try to, find, let's try to find a way to make Logan fun. It got a little better because they actually opened a real bar in Logan, Utah. But it, that's a, that one's a grind. Yeah, that's you a tough that. one. There's a couple places you can go. You can go play some pool in a couple spots out there. Um, besides that, there, there's not too much unless you're going to walk across the parking lot pool. on that ice over there. We played pool last year. Uh, you, you're not going to walk into a maybe brothel like we may, we might have done on one of the road trips. Oh, Hawaii. Yeah. Boy, you know what's funny? You, great memories of that trip because uh, Caleb mentioned the same thing about yeah. these surprises that will pop up in Hawaii. But we'll leave that for another day. Curtis, we appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. All right, thank you, fellas. We'll see you soon.